Hi, and welcome to From Many People's Strength, the podcast that covers Saskatchewan politics and current events. My name is Corey, and my pronouns are he and him. And I am David. My pronouns are they, them, or he, him. Okay. It's been a couple weeks. Yep. Because of, uh, I got, I went back to my old job. Yeah. <laughs> so all of those people who decided that your opinion didn't count because of the work you did, do they now respect your opinion? <laughs> right. Yeah. Or will I, they find a different excuse to discount your opinion? <laughs> I work in the oil field now. Therefore I have, I'm, I can Your opinions are talk. justified. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> for six months I didn't work in the oil field. So I didn't, my opinions were worthless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So now I guess we'll be a biweekly show until right. something else happens <laughs> because yeah, my schedule is, is week on, schedule? week off. Yeah. yeah. No, that's good. I'm glad. I, I, uh, I am glad that you are finding yourself in a stronger economic position in <laughs> the system that you are forced to live within in spite of <laughs> yes. the job not necessarily being your dream job. Yeah. I'm, I don't know how polite I need that is, to be. That is a- actually <laughs> the perfect way to describe it. <laughs> yeah, perfect. So, um, slightly, the format's pretty similar to what we've done. We're going to do like some general headlines some a couple like rapid fire in the middle and then move into some deeper looks at a few things. Airports in Regina and Saskatoon must reapply for international designation. Transport Canada removes designation for a handful of airports, airports. So in January, Transport Canada released a new document outlining requirements for Canadian airport to be considered international. And the document lists 13 airports across the country and Saskatoon and Regina are not on the list. Not a whole lot to this story. Like uh, they're reapplying. Uh, Saskatoon thinks that they will end up getting the designation because they have all these other things in, in place. Michael, Michael Cram, uh, MP for uh, Regina Wascana. Of course, blame the liberal government <laughs> as though it was some kind of like Justin Trudeau, Trudeau took offense to uh, something that yeah. the Saskatchewan government did and is attacking the airports for some reason. Right. This is but not Calgary or, Alberta, or Edmonton. No, no, just Saskatchewan. Trudeau loves Alberta. <laughs> is the rationale. Yes, that's like correct. you know what you're right. If if all of a sudden I saw Edmonton, <laughs> Calgary, Regina, and Saskatoon lose their international yeah. status, and you were seeing similarly sized airports and cities not lose it, I, yeah, I'd be I'd, I'd be asking some questions. Um, but mm, I, I'm pretty darn certain. This is a bureaucratic issue rather than a political issue. Like I could I, be wrong. There could be political interference here, but like, I would be willing to bet that um, this never was touched by a politician. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like this, was like the minister of transportation, transportation probably yeah. saw oh, something, over. right? Yeah. Like there's a, the minister of transportation probably was involved in, you know. Ex bureaucrat does a report, cost efficiencies. Here's a more efficient you know, way we should be categorizing things that gets passed up the chain. Some guy higher up says, yes, recommissions another report. <laughs> like my guess is this was 10 years in the making. So if we looked at the origins, it probably actually goes back to being under Harper. Um, and yeah, 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 along that process, the uh, transport minister probably had to oversee things. Um, you know, the, the deputy minister who is not an elected position, but is still, often a politicized position sort of the head of the bureaucracy is beholden to the minister. Like there's some, like there there was probably oversight at some level that involved politics, but this isn't a, yeah, this isn't a Justin Trudeau doesn't like (laughs) Regina and Saskatoon. This was some guy. And I, I, from what we're hearing, even if the designation does fall by the wayside, it has very limited impact on flights because non-international airports still can service flights to and from the United States. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's going to be a handful of charters by the sounds of things. Yeah. 
there's going to be the odd thing that needs uh to be a stopover instead of a direct flight. Right. But we can still go to Regina Airport and fly to wherever, right? Yeah. Well, and so, because yeah, because most like unless it's a charter, most flights do have stopovers. You you don't yeah. fly even if you have a even if you can get a ticket to Hawaii from like Hawaii is still part of the US. I don't know how that is impacted, but even if you can get a ticket to Mexico City from Regina, that flight wouldn't be a direct Regina Mexico flight. Right. That's exactly. going to stop off either in Toronto or it's going to stop off at a US hub of some kind. Um, same with if you're flying to Europe, same with like, there just aren't direct flights from Regina to a lot of international destinations anywhere. Same with Saskatoon. Yeah. Um, it sucks. Like it, 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 I'm guessing and I don't know, but just from what I've read before, I'm guessing there is funding involved and probably security probably. differences. So, yeah. um, this, and, will, I, this will either make getting through security faster or slower at Regina airport. I don't know which. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but and it'll probably like, say, be one of the two. Saskatoon is like the the representative from the Saskatoon airport. They're pretty certain they're just going to they don't see a change in their designation long like actually. <laughs> so, yeah, and like they probably have to say like my guess is some guy at Regina also said that he just didn't yeah, ha- have be. that quote landed. Like I'm guessing yeah. everyone who's about to lose it or might lose it probably says say, the same thing. Yeah. Well, but, we don't really expect to lose it. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah. Yeah, it's it's an interesting story. Like we'll see what those the fallouts are of that. Um, I think that that story is good to talk about now because it puts it on the radar and becomes a bigger story when the final decisions are made and what we when we actually learn what those impacts are. Saskatchewan Indigenous Environmental Group calls for halt to public land sell off. Obviously, uh, the government's not going to halt any sales, <laughs> but a coalition of indigenous agricultural and environmental groups is calling for the provincial government to keep crown land public. And they want to, they say that the government has accelerated crown land sales over the past decade with more than a million acres passing from public to private hands, uh, resulting in a loss of natural, valuable natural gla- grasslands. Yep. And, of course, they say it's wrong to sell off the land while First Nations are still in talks to receive the land promised, but has not, but hasn't been delivered. I think that second piece, uh, really strikes home to the core of it, uh, for me. Like, you have, if you can't sell land that isn't yours. (laughs) So, so unless the previous discussions have been, uh, dealt with, how do we, how are we selling this land? It's only because the government has the power yeah. and, you know, so they're just being, you know, doing whatever they want. Yeah. No, it, it's, <laughs> if, in a private incident, if there is like, if someone is challenging my ownership of my house and a lien gets put on my house because of it, or like, I can't then sell it like that. There's legal yeah. issues there. Yeah. I also like, and I, I've somewhat ranted about this in the past as well. As a private individual, again, the government, like conservatives always wanted to be like, oh, let's, let's run this like a business. And they keep comparing it to, oh, you couldn't run your personal household budget this way. Well, first mm-hmm. of all, governments don't have budgets the same way personal households do. <laughs> no. If we do want to continue that metaphor, um, and I know I sound like a broken record on this, is I as a personal household cannot consider my budget to be balanced if all I'm doing is selling off a- assets to do it. Right. Yeah. Right. It's still like, a loss. If I own <laughs> stuff that I then that are one time things that once I've sold them they're gone, that's not me balancing my budget. <laughs> no, that's um, selling your comic book collection to get out of debt. Yeah. Which you know what? As a private individual, yeah, sell your comic book. But like more important, it's selling the car you take to get to work to get out yeah, of debt. That's true. Right? Yeah. Because this isn't this isn't something that's only worth money because a collector wants it. Um, like yeah. this land has value. This land has long-term value for the current owners, which are all of us. The, yeah. the, the government doesn't own this land. The people own the land. The governments are stewards of that ownership. Um, so like, and as stewards, yeah. we've given them the right to, to buy things and sell things on our behalf. But like, that's a shitty thing to sell. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Like it's, it's not like it no longer has value. It is not like it. Um, yeah. So 
And I think it's like the article doesn't talk about this, but I, I think what things are being sold for matters as well. Um, because it's, again, it's not just like selling a car that drives away and you never see again. It's like selling a chunk of your own backyard. You know, if I <laughs> sold a chunk of my backyard yeah. and someone builds an outhouse on it, um, that's going to be unpleasant for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, again, I think the, the call to halt sales until more work gets. And again, why are we selling assets? Like that's, that's another big question. Unless there's a legitimate reason we don't want to own this crown land anymore. Um, which is again, a political philosophical thing. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. But it, it's, the other thing, again, if we want to try and be like, think selfishly about it. Okay. Let's, let's pretend we don't have compassion for people. Um, let's <laughs> sort of be the cold, hard calculus of the situation and let's not even care about balancing budgets. If we have a hundred units of land that is currently owned by the crown and at some point or another courts or negotiations or whatever method is used towards resolution results in 20 of those units of land being returned to indigenous people. If we have a hundred, we can start negotiating fairly easily in quote, easily about which 20 of that hundred it becomes. Right. If we sell off 60 of it and only have 40 left, we have a lot less control over, what 20 gets given away and it may act end up being 25 or 30 at that point because the original land that it should have been is gone and no longer ours to give away. And that should cause people to have pause because like, again, if you are cold hearted, if you are, hell, if you're racist, there's land that you don't want to have to give away. Um, and if you sell everything but the land you don't want to give away, um, when it comes time to return the land <laughs> that you need to return, you're going to have to give that away. Um, and yeah. that should give people pause as well, even, <laughs> even yeah. if you don't care about all of those other things. It's just the government, Saskatchewan government, conservative government kind of, this is their bag, right? They, yeah. this is what they do. How can we privatize without calling it privatization? Yeah. Fixing social safety net. Best way to keep Saskatoon women safe. Uh, no shit. Um, yeah. And, you know, and, I, and I, I say that with the fact that I have constantly said in the past, no, no, it's good when research is done. That proves the obvious because that is how you get legitimate support. That's because, because there are people who don't understand the obvious. And, you know, if you, you know, anytime there is a study that proves something that I just look at and go, what the fuck? We already knew that. It, I, I <laughs> remind myself that some people don't, and it's always good to have proof. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Um, maybe this can get into hands of somebody like, yeah, <sighs> yeah I, I don't know. There's yeah. not much to say about it except that, uh, I mean, we lack, uh, in Saskatchewan, we lack a lot of, uh, supports for, uh, people who need them. And, you know, it's always good to have something to say that we need more. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, and I think this is a topic we've talked about numerous times where it's, it's <laughs> the, 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 the core issues are making sure people are safe and secure. Um, and if you have, if you don't have economic freedom, it's almost impossible to have personal freedom uh, when it comes to leading abusive situations because your yeah. life is dependent on another person. Um, so if you're in a, an abusive situation, it's it's incredibly difficult to to get out if um, the economics aren't there. Yep. So, yeah, housing, affordable housing, safe injection sites, employment, safety from violence, um, and it. it it has ripple effects. It, you know, you reduce, you know, you re you reduce the danger, um, in one area and you provide safety for others as well. Um, because, you know, people who have tools to break the cycle of addictions aren't 
committing crimes to feed their addictions, um, aren't providing resources to others who would use violence to maintain a black market, right? Like it's these things all, all ripple and have a snowball effect. So, um, Again, it's always me coming up with, here's why it's in your selfish best interest to support this stuff, too. Um, even the, if you don't care about people, it's Even if you don't care about people, <laughs> from yeah. a selfish, self-interested perspective, these are still things you want to put in place. It yeah. saves tax money in the long run. It reduces crime. It re- well, you don't care about reducing suffering, but it does. That's <laughs> that, that's the thing that we care about. <laughs> uh, because there are people in the world who care about the reduction of suffering, they're going to be less grumpy when you are interacting with them. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. If there's less suffering, we are less unhappy. Yeah, we so. can go for coffee and talk to our conservative friends, and we don't have to keep bringing up. Yeah. The failings of their conservative government. I have avoided the comment section on this one to the, for the most part. Um, Probably a good call. Yeah. Um, I actually think if someone is – like the whole don't read the comments idea I think is important for mental health. Um, with the understanding that if you are in a privileged group, it's important for – it's important that from time to time you do go read the comments. Um, yeah. because, um, it is very tempting for centrists to forget how horrifying some of the people out there are. Yeah. Um, because, yeah. because like the people who are just horrifically blatantly racist, um, you know what, that, that they're going to continue being what they are. It's the people who are on the center who are like, oh, no, no, it's 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 not that bad. No, go read the comments. Like, if you think it's not that bad, whether it's a uh, violence against women issue and you're a man and you don't think it's that bad, or if you're white and you and you hear an issue where there's a racial element to it and you don't think it's that bad, go read the comments. Because yeah. I also know there are people out there who are going, oh, no, this isn't because of race. This is just because he killed people. Like, no, read the comments. <laughs> you will see that the people yeah. who are calling for him to be deported absolutely have a racial element to their argument because yeah. they're being very open and honest about that. They are being they, – they want this person out. In, in fact, if they could, they would deport as many people of other ethnicities as they could. Exactly. <laughs> so, so the story of Situ being deported, again, outside the comment section, it seems to be – like amongst most people I know and like when you read the article, so like the parents and family of the kids who died all seem to be pretty universally – in favor of not deporting him. Um, that like, it, it seems that most are saying, you know, he like, he did the right thing. He came forward. He turned himself in. He pled guilty. He yeah. didn't appeal the sentence. Um, in spite of it being the highest sentence in Canadian history for a crime of a similar nature. Yeah. Um, and, Legal professionals across the country saying if he had appealed, he would have gotten a, a lighter sentence. Yeah. Like that's a, that, that is, that seems to be, and I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know, but that seems to be right wing through left wing, a pretty universal belief that had he appealed, he would have gotten a lesser sentence. Like take politics out of that. Yeah. That, that seems to be pretty damn near close to a hard fact. Yeah. Uh, you know, and to, prior to the crash, Cito had a spotless record. And when I say it's the highest sentence for a crime of a similar nature, for a crime where it was no alcohol was involved, no reckless driving was involved, no drugs of any kind were involved, it was someone yeah. who was tired from driving too much. Um, so there was no no alcohol, no drugs, no speeding, no texting. Like the, those are the, those are the big four, right? Yeah. Alcohol, drugs, speeding, texting. None of those were involved. Um, he was, had been driving two weeks solid without a break. He was tired and got distracted. Yep. I don't want to say it's not an excuse because to some extent it, it, it kind of is. Um, but, got distracted yeah. by a flapping tarp on his trailer. So it wasn't that he fell asleep. Nope. He was tired and he admitted that. 
He got distracted by a flapping tarp, looked away, um, and it was at an intersection that had already killed six people previously. Right. We know this is an intersection that was dangerous. It is. It was a known issue um, that this intersection was dangerous. Um, and and yeah, so it it seems to be that um, it, it's it's pretty universal. Um, and I like like one of the things in the article. Um, and I'm going to read this because it's 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 fairly deep within the article. I, you, I saw you smile, so I think you know what I'm about to read. Um, by contrast, according to a brief CDU's Calgary lawyer, Michael Green filed with the CBSA, a, a Saskatchewan driver who had previously dodged charges of drunk driving and fleeing the scene of a crash drove through a stop sign in 1997, killing a 39-year-old woman and injuring her young son before fleeing the scene without rendering assistance. He was not charged with leaving the scene, but received a traffic ticket for driving without due care and attention and paid a small fine. That driver, Scott Moe, is now Premier of Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. So, how how can you say race doesn't play a, a part in it when the citizens of this province have absolutely no problem voting for someone who did literally the exact same thing, possibly worse? Because yeah. we don't know if Scott Moe was drinking, speeding, texting, or on drugs at the time because he fled the scene. Also, he fled the scene. Yeah, which is another offense, technically, yeah. right? So, like, the, the the tough on crime crowd, for one, they are hypocrites because they're almost never actually universally tough on crime. They're tough on crime when it's done by people a different color than them. But yeah. the tough on crime crowd will often talk about victims' rights and, and refer to themselves as fighting for the victims. <laughs> well, the victims in this case um, are... And the, or the families thereof are almost universally calling for lenience, compassion, yeah. and allowing Sidu to remain in this country. Yep. So uh, it you, seems, and yeah. again, from everything that I'm, I've read on this story, the law seems pretty clear that he shouldn't be deported. Like by the law, he shouldn't be. Um, so if he'll be deported, it will be because of political interference. Yeah. Um, and I, I, yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, I don't, I, hope, I don't, I, 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 I'd like to be optimistic. <laughs> I'd like to be optimistic that this becomes someone who is able to remain in the country, is able to return to being a productive member of society. Um, and, and see where we go. But. Yeah, I'm. I mean, yeah, I don't have anything to add actually. Like, <laughs> I just agree. Yeah. I, I, uh, <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, uh, again, I talked a little longer on this one because it's one I am pretty passionate about. Um, and it, it's that's yeah, it's so that's, cut and dry. And it and and we may revisit this down the road after courts just you know decide yeah. that he is not to be deported, and we get to be you know happy about the right decision being made and um go from there but yeah i hope so yeah the city of regina report recommends removing the john a mcdonald statue from victoria park well so this one uh, i did read the comments on oh yeah i bet it was fun Yeah. yeah yeah so City of Regina report headed to city council this Wednesday and recommends removing the John A. McDonald statue that currently stands in Victoria Park. And and then I guess they'll put it in storage. (laughs) So the report, um, where is it, was considered in a private session by Regina's executive committee last Monday after a review of the legacy of the statue was launched amid calls for its removal last June during the, uh, you know, various discussions on race and black lives matter and history. And, and I mean, I was arguing with the people in Reddit on, in the Reddit threads <laughs> last in June here. Yeah. So the people on Reddit at the time, like there was somebody spray painted it, I think. Yeah. And everybody was very like, very adamant that, 
you ca- defacing this revered statue is a big deal. And obviously I think that paint washes off. So it wasn't that big a deal. <laughs> this yeah. is a more, a hopefully more permanent solution. Yeah. It's one of those things you you can tell to some degree that the people, or at least a large portion of the people who are arguing for keeping the statue there, know they're on the wrong side because they never actually use a good faith argument. And what I mean by that is there are the two most common arguments that I hear about keeping the statue is one the no big deal argument the this isn't an important enough issue for us to be spending time on and the reason i say that's not a good faith issue is then don't spend time on it then let it be taken down if it's no big deal it should be no big deal for it to be gone but that's not their actual argument they're like and and i find that to be the case it's not just with statues that's such a that's such a big thing if yeah. someone is arguing against change and they're arguing that just keeping the status quo is no big deal. It's a bad faith argument because changing (laughs) the status quo would be no big deal then as well. And there are obviously people who care about it. So if you don't think this is an important enough issue to care about, why not let the people who do care get their way? Yep. If, if me and three other people are ordering pizza and I honestly don't care about what toppings go on it. I'm not going to get in an argument with them over what toppings go on. It. <laughs> right. You'll right? just get whatever. If we've always <laughs> ordered pepperoni. If we've ordered pepperoni four weeks in a row and other people are going, you know what? Why don't we try Hawaiian this week? And I go, we shouldn't change because it's no big deal. That's, it, that's it's obviously a big deal. I need to be arguing. I, like, it, no big deal isn't an argument. I have to argue why we should keep it as pepperoni then, right? Yeah. So that's that's why number one isn't isn't a good faith argument, the no big deal argument. And number two, and this one is is I think again, I think they know they're full of shit when they make this one, is the how right. else will we know history? We don't keep statues up to commemorate people. We come we keep statues up because it's history, and it, those who don't remember history are doomed to repeat it. I hear that all the time when it's keeping up <laughs> statues. Yeah. And it's like we like there are all sorts of important events from history that we don't have statues of like we don't have statues of Slobodan Milosevic in our <laughs> right. parks um like that's an important <laughs> event in history uh, is is the the genocide in the former Yugoslavia right like and if you say oh okay well no no that's because he's not canadian Okay, we don't have statues of Paul Bernardo up in our parks. We don't have statues of Robert Picton up in our parks. Um, <laughs> that's a bullshit argument. We yeah. don't put up statues of people who do garbage things. So let's if, if you strip away those two arguments, then the argument has to come down to John A. McDonald is worthy of celebration. And they right. don't want to have that argument because they know he's not. Yeah, exactly. And there are a few. There are a few people who do come out and say, you know what, he did some bad things, but they're not as bad. Like the good outweighs them, um, which is a failed. Like that is a good faith argument. They they may believe right. it, yeah, but, but it's lots wrong. of people don't want to have that one because there's so much evidence that it's wrong, right? Yeah. So there's a small portion of the population who is going to argue that. Like, and I'm I, I am sure they're like. I even think of my grandmother, who's a wonderful person, probably would have thought that because didn't know about all the horrible things because that was stuff that didn't get talked about. Um, And, you know, I think were she alive today, she probably, after hearing the good arguments for why it needs to be gone, probably would go, oh, yeah, I didn't know that. Now that I know that I want him gone. But I think there are people who just don't know his true history. Yeah, that's right. And who are who 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 will argue for the that what he did wasn't that bad because they don't know. Yeah. And even once they learn a little bit of it, they'll, they'll just say things like, uh, like I can see people I know specifically saying like all bullshit. That wasn't, you know, that's just the way it was the time. That was just the way, you know, it was just the way the country was run or whatever, this and that and the other excuse after excuse after excuse, which is bullshit on two fronts. One, (laughs) 
No, no. He was bad for the time at which yeah. he lived. It That's wasn't right. as if we're judging him purely on a 21st century moral compass. Which I think is okay, actually. Anyway. Well, <laughs> Two, the statue is going to be up in the 21st century. So I'm not going – like let's say there's someone who was progressive for their time but, you know, in retrospect – not so much. Right. Putting up the people who put up statues for him at the time, I don't fault them for it. Yeah. It, maybe it was someone who was progressive for the time. Um, yeah. In the case of McDonald, again, I, I kind of, he wasn't. <laughs> right. Um, but we're not existing in time machines. We're not living in 19th yeah. century Regina and looking at statues in 19th century Regina. We yeah. live in the 21st century. We should be commemorating things that align with the values of the 21st century. Um, and so, like, my solution in the whole, you know, let's not, um, uh, you know, let's not forget history, is if you really want to keep the statue, keep the statue and make sure there's a plaque that is as big as the statue that outlines the atrocities that he committed. And say, then you're actually discussing history. Then you're actually discussing history. <laughs> um, the people who don't want to remove the statue dislike that idea even more. Uh, <laughs> and we see that in, in lots yeah. of places, right? When the, these yeah. statues debates come up, when people say, hey, you know what? Fine, let's leave the statue up and we will talk about how this person perpetrated a genocide and they were a horrifying racist. Yeah. Um, like horrifying racist, again, even for the times in which they lived. Yeah. Um, so – so the statue was put in place in 1967 as part of the Canadian centennial commemorations. Uh, a lot of times these uh, discussions, they get, they get discussed as well as though the statue has been there literally since the dawn of time. Yeah. <laughs> and we're tearing down some historical monument that's, you know, uh, you know, it itself is history. And yeah. it's, I mean, 67's, you know, it's a while ago. It's yeah. 10 years longer than I've been alive. <laughs> but it's not that big a deal. <laughs> and yeah, people, like, the people who care about it being taken down only care about it because it's being taken down. Yep. Like, yep. I, I, I would be shocked. If shocked, nobody, I yeah. tell you. If... Any of them bring their kids to the statue and be like, hey, you know, this is this is an important person that you need to learn about. Or, you know, when there are when the city does fundraisers about, you know, uh, clean up our parks or uh, downtown beautification are donating money to downtown yeah. beautification product projects. Right. Like no. maybe there's some again, like there's probably a splinter group. Somebody's okay. grandmother somewhere who, you know, had donated her time to go down, clean up garbage from Victoria Park and donated money to downtown rejuvenation who attended, you know, Confederation days or whatever that celebrated 1867. But like, that's two people. <laughs> and that's a fictional yeah. person I'm making up. In my head. I don't yeah, know anyone right. like that. Yeah. But if that person exists, they are. They are one or two people. So I have I have never met a person who went to specifically look at the John A. McDonald statue for any reason. <laughs> so none, none that I can think of either. Yeah, I, really, I go and look at statues anytime I'm in a park. Like anytime I'm in a park, I like to go look at statues and read the plaques. Yeah. I'm a giant nerd. Um, <laughs> so I have gone and checked it out. Um, but I'm also one of the people who think, you know, yeah, we yeah, should remove that's it. Right. Um, and you know, if you want to talk about, if you want, if you want to remember his legacy, um, even like still put up that same plaque that I was talking about, um, or put up a commemorative statue to the victims of residential school violence. Um, like there are other things in this country we should be commemorating, yeah. um, that I think would be very appropriate, um, to go there. So, Sastel announced uh, in a press release that Samsung is going to be the company that is handling our 5G uh, upgrades. So that's neat, I guess. Uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to 5G upgrades. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think that 5G is giving us all 
whatever bad things the conspiracy telepathy oh. <laughs> covid that's what it is it's, is it giving us covid Damn it. <laughs> but we don't have it yet and we're the hot spot <laughs> yeah that's right teen uh, jackson mcdonald he he was uh found dead in uh, duck mountain provincial park this is obviously a tragedy that i just i just i saw it and i wanted to acknowledge it uh i tried to you know when I see these articles in the news, I do try to bring them up so that we can at least mention them. Mention, yeah. Because, I, I saw that one when it was the missing persons case, and it's, those are never, never good when it turns, yeah, the other side of it. So, carry the kettle. Urban like reserve uh, reveals urban development plan for in Northwest Regina. I took a look at this. It seems like it's a pretty neat plan. Uh, yeah, I'm always happy yeah. when you know more stuff's going on. Casino, cultural center, hotel, care home. Yeah. All of that seems like positive economic development. Um, yeah. yeah. I think it's one of those pretty good news all around. I think um, issues around how much how much support for indigenous communities, how much economic support for indigenous communities is derived from gambling is uh, problematic. Yeah. But... If the support isn't coming in other ways, more power to them for for taking the the tools that they do have at their disposal. Um, it then just yeah. becomes really important for the government to implement addictions counseling programs because addiction is a disease yeah. um, and should be treated as a healthcare issue. So, but like again, not blaming the the reservations no. for that in any way, shape, or form um, because. That's that's the economic tool that they have available to them when other economic tools have been denied. So just a an addendum, I guess it says the Kawasis, Nikanit, uh, Piapot, and Sakame and Star Blanket uh, First Nations all have already established uh, urban reserves within Regina. So yep. that's cool. I mean, yeah. Also, it, another addendum point. Oh, sorry, I let you finish yours. Yeah, no, I was just going to say it's a thing I like. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, uh, they've also signed a, um, a, uh, a memorandum of understanding with the city, so the final details aren't hammered out. But this basically, in yeah. in principle, this is good to go. Uh, yeah. But the other point I was going to make is something I've noticed is that anytime there are pictures of indigenous groups making announcements or speeches or presentations, <laughs> every single person is wearing their mask and wearing it properly. <laughs> Actually, I'm, I'm going to bring that up just there is to a show that contrast. <laughs> that's interesting hey every come, time i see I'll pictures come, that is universal all wearing masks yeah and uh, yeah <laughs> never below the nose keeps it on um uh-huh yeah. it, it, if you watch it is pretty damn near universal um when you're when you're seeing stories of indigenous groups making presentations i'm sure there's an exception out there somewhere i'm sure uh, there is like if you go looking you'll find it but yeah in my anecdotal observations that has that has been pretty pretty consistent. <laughs> Saskatchewan ends 2020 with fewer people than it began uh, yeah. with for the first year in 15 years. Yeah. So so when we I think we talked about population going down earlier this year. Uh, yeah. And yeah, I mean, not really a surprise in my opinion, but oh, I knew it was coming. And yeah. population shouldn't be the number one measure of success. For a province, um, the Sask party has made it one, which like if you're choosing to if you're choosing the benchmark by which you want to be judged, you don't get to complain when you fail against that benchmark. Yeah. Um, like because either you failed against an important benchmark or you fucked up making that your benchmark. I imagine that people will not probably not agree with me on this uh, if they support the Sask party. But from my books, <laughs> people are drawn to a province where people are uh, successful, are supported, where you have a government that, you know, takes care of the uh, issues that they're facing. If there's addictions, there's addiction support. If there's housing, there's housing support. If, if You know, if there's low income, then the government helps those people. And yep. you'll find that people are drawn to a province that gives a shit about their citizens. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know <laughs> the numbers. The numbers tend to support that. Um, and like, 
again, economic uh, success feeds into that to some degree as well. Right. The, the population started growing in the last several years of the NDP government. Um, so you had um, a couple, like a few years near the end of the NDP after the austerity years when, when they were sort of got the ship righted. Um, yeah. The population was growing and the walled government to his credit maintained the success that the NDP had started to generate. Um, so, but again, I, it seems like a, that, that in and of itself does not seem like it's the best measurement, but if that is the measurement you're going to use, Scott Moe is failing. <laughs> yep. It's Francophone month in Saskatchewan, or maybe it's, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's all of Canada. <laughs> But specifically, I know it's Francophone Month in Saskatchewan. Um, How do you know that, Corey? I know this. <laughs> well, <laughs> actually, I know this because of the Leader Post. No. Okay. Fair <laughs> oddly enough. enough. Oddly enough, my partner has not mentioned this. Okay. <laughs> but Wait, uh, I have seen her mention it in social media posts. Oh, could be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get you in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Maybe I haven't. <laughs> I, my French isn't good enough that I can understand her post without copying and pasting it into Google Translate. So yeah, me either. So. <laughs> I, my kids are in French immersion, so I'm I'm and I grew up in Ontario, so I'm I'm rusty. I, it, written form, I can sometimes piece together about a third of what I'm reading. Spoken, we have we have a two year old in our house, yeah. and she is learning French and Kirundi and English. And as far as French and Kirundi. Me and her are on the same page. Well, she probably <laughs> knows more than me, <laughs> but I, I'm still, I'm learning from the two-year-old. That's great. <laughs> so. That is a fantastic way to do it. Um, I had hoped that when my kids were taking French immersion, I would be able to, to keep pace with them and, and failed on that. Well, I, they I go, did, yeah. I did not Their brains are too elastic. They learn so yeah. fast. <laughs> so I'm working on it still. Um, I'd like to, I'd like to be better, better support for them. Um, it's such a useful skill. Yeah. Like, yeah. Canada and the United States are so weird in that we're unilingual societies. And like, that is a gross generalization. Lots of Canada and the United States is not unilingual. Right, Huge right. swaths are not unilingual. Yeah. Um, but, uh, there are, I mean, there are places in the world that are, that are unilingual amongst, um, people who don't have access to higher education. But I don't, I'm trying to think of if there is, any place in the world other than Canada and the U.S. Now, maybe there is, but any place other than Canada, U.S. where members of the society who have access to higher education are unilingual. Learn. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there is because so many places that don't have English as their first language will then have at the very least English as a second language yep. within within their their education system. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, yeah. Like I, don't know. I know. I know that, yeah, almost everybody that I know who's from like a, a non-English speaking country also speaks at least one other language. Yeah. So. And, and often in addition, like one other in addition to English even. Yeah, so that you're right. up to yeah. three at that point, let alone yeah. the two that we don't speak. So. And then they almost always know bits and pieces of a couple other languages because. Yeah. <laughs> because they travel and they have yeah. to know that. But I, I, I think. <laughs> I think, um, yeah, for, for celebrating Francophone culture, I think is something we, we should do more of. I, uh, I sometimes am baffled at how unaware most Canadians are at mm. how horribly the Francophone population of this country was treated. Not on par with indigenous communities, no. but Still bad. Still really, really bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I've talked, I think I talked about this months and months ago. Um, the fact that prior to the quiet revolution in Quebec, the Frank of the ethnic Francophone population made up 80% of the population while the ethnic Anglophone portion of the population owned 80% of the wealth. Yeah. Um, they had a, the, um, income disparity, and again, there are there is more to oppression than economics, but the income yeah. disparity between Anglophone and Francophone in Quebec was right. greater than um, the racial or gender income disparities that existed then or now. 
Um, So uh, Canada's history with the Francophone population, and it's, it's, I'm cautious on it because one of the back, one of the, the things that has happened since the quiet revolution over the last 50 years is the culture has become a fairly racist one as well, anti-immigrant yeah, racist. Right. Yeah. So it's the these white francophone people who have then become racist, but their own culture was one that was on the the receiving end of oppression. Um, it, it, yeah. It's complicated, but um, yeah, the celebration of francophone culture and how it impacts the the country um, is something that we should pay more attention to. Yep. It's not just poutine. Nope, that's right. And in Saskatchewan, we have fifty three thousand people in Saskatchewan who speak French officially. Yeah. Um, 16,000 of people who have, uh, French as their first language, 120,000 people in Saskatchewan have French heritage. So, I mean, that's not an insignificant number of people. About 10th of the province. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't know, I like, I didn't learn this until I had a partner who was, uh, a Francophone. Uh, but in Saskatchewan, they, they gave themselves the identity of Fran, Francois. And, uh, I, I, I mean, that's neat. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> so there's a, a French Saskatchewan yeah. culture. And that's, it's uniquely Saskatchewan. It's uniquely French. It's, yeah, it's good. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so if you use the delivery service, the fees are capped for a month in Saskatchewan. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess uh, to reiterate, <laughs> I, <laughs> nobody, no, nothing that I have seen said that they are producing, like there was anything to introduce to protect the workers' wages or to stop extra fees being capped onto the customer. So I don't know what the result of this is going to be. And also this has apparently a one month, uh, deadline. So yeah. we'll see what happens in a month. There's not a terrible amount of, like a large amount of detail in this article, but yeah, I, <laughs> I am a cynic in a lot of ways. <laughs> it's not a good trait, but when I see th- something like this, my instinct is, okay, so now, now pe- drivers are just going to get fucked. Because <laughs> like, they don't want to lose profits, but okay. I, I already spent enough time on <laughs> I'm letting you go. That's, you're the expert on that one, but yeah, I think you're right. We were looking at a lockdown. Uh, Sandra Masters uh, said that it was possible. And then <laughs> and then we got our news that we are going into a lockdown as of today. It's uh, Sunday the 28th. Yeah. So uh, restaurants are going to uh, delivery only, delivery takeout only. Um, uh, I guess churches are still allowed to have um 30 people yeah 30 people in them i did not see anything about uh like gyms are still going as far as i know yeah um and i tried to go to mine today and there was way too many people there so i left (laughs) i was there for about 30 minutes and then when i uh and then it was just too packed so Schools are closed for two weeks. Um, they were going yep. to be closed for a week anyways, and it's a week of home learning for the for this coming week. Um, yep. Again, it's weird to announce it a week in advance and then allow everything to stay open for that week. So it's basically things were going into lockdown as of today, but they announced it a week ago. So Facebook was filled with people talking about how they were all going to go out to restaurants to support it. So everyone was flocking to restaurants and packing. I saw the, the same week. thing on Reddit. Like what? Yeah. This yep. is a bad decision. Just yep. <laughs> like what? Why, when you know that the we're in a hot spot and mm-hmm. there's restrictions coming because of it, would you pop? Why wouldn't you stay home voluntarily? Yeah, because people think that they are the exception. Yeah, um, that's right. And I, yeah. I, I talked about this before, and, and the the idea that you know there is some gray area, and people want to st- stick their toe into the gray area. Um, I just it it becomes creeping and it becomes okay. Yes, it says this out of the other thing, but I'm going to stay within the spirit of the law, mm. and it, and that just becomes so easy to keep going. Um, and, and like I said, I've, I've got some sympathy for people who who do sort of stay within the spirit of the law, um, right? But 
if everyone tries to get that little bit of wiggle room and misjudges and then takes a lot of wiggle room. So it's, it's frustrating and I don't know. Um, I don't know the solution. And again, it's what makes it even more frustrating is and I've talked about this so many times. If everyone, if everyone stayed at a risk level two, we probably right. would have all been fine, but because yeah. so many people want to be at risk level seven and eight, yeah, the rest of us have to stay at risk level zero. Yeah, um, and I like, I, I, this is on a personal level, and then it sort of I think it's it's a metaphor for the macro. Um, I had a talk with my partner who lives in Saskatoon. Um, the last time I visited them, and at the end of the visit, we're like, you know what? We, we're allowed like that that was within guidelines we didn't break any rules um while i was there and it fell within what we were permitted to do they are really the only other adult i have spent time with um with the exception of my co-parent um since been a long time um mm. And they, like, again, grocery store, they try and, you know, follow rules and whatnot, but stayed within rules. But at the end of that visit, we just had the talk and they're immunocompromised. So they need to have sort of be extra cautious. And we just decided because my co-parent is being as risky as they are, or she is, we, I can't see my partner anymore. Um, it's mm -hmm. just too high of a risk. So That's... I lose the one person I was seeing because someone else has chosen to see a couple dozen people yeah. um, spread out over eight different households. Um, the last that I know of. Um, and again, that's a personal um, issue, but I think we have the same thing on the macro scale where yeah. you have so many people who are trying to, some just flat out ignoring the rules. Um, yeah. But even the ones who think the rules are important, believe COVID is real, think we need to be socially distancing, aren't anti-maskers, but just are like, yeah, you know what? It's okay if I do this. It's not, this, this isn't the issue. <laughs> Makes it that much more dangerous for everyone else. So, yep. Yeah. So also related, uh, yeah. I don't want to spend too much more time on this, but also related there has been a lot of calls to the Regina police yeah. <laughs> for COVID violations. A lot of people have been calling the police to say, Hey, um, my neighbors are doing this, or I saw somebody doing that and having too many people at their house. And, and, uh, yeah, this is, that's a thing that is happening a lot. Also, um, there's some economic impacts to COVID this year. Obviously, uh, downtown Regina is suffering a lot. That's a, all these, all these articles I'll place in the show notes. <laughs> yes. And of course, uh, the NDP is urging an expansion of the COVID-19 restrictions to Moose Jaw. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I guess that's, that's Regina's pandemic story. <laughs> yeah. And vaccines are on their way. Um, it's at age 62 and up now, plus, those who are in high risk groups, um, my partner in Saskatoon, I was talking about got their, got their letter in the mail on that. They are now qualified to go get the vaccine because they are considered a high risk, um, because they're medical conditions. So, you know, light at the end of the tunnel. Um, yep. we will likely not spend a lot of time together in person until both of us are vaccinated. Um, right. but right. I'm, counting down the months I'm not counting down the days yet <laughs> not um, yet no but i don't know I, if, if we're at age 62 now i don't know we'll hit the 40 plus range maybe in three months i hope yeah and i know there was some people saying that the government i think it was uh the canadian government was saying that we want to get everybody vaccinated by uh july or yeah. midsummer but I, I don't sure. know. That'd be yeah, great. I don't know. It was weird. The, if you looked at the age range, there was, a, and I can't remember which two years it was, but for a while there, the vaccine, we were, the vaccinations was for age, I think 63 to 66 and age 69 and up. So there was like this two years, it was 67 <laughs> and 68, or I can't remember which two years it was, but there was a two year window right smack in the middle. It was like, no. Not you. I just it, <laughs> and my guess. Like I, I tried to figure out what the like, 
heck because with fuck you. And this is like... one of those ones where people were in the comments because I saw it on post on Facebook of what the what? fuck? Like, do we just not like people who are 68 for some reason? Um, they're frustrated because it was almost 69, but not quite. Um, but, uh, no, they're, they're like, and, and my, my suspicion and no one ever came up with a, a good answer for it, but my suspicion is it was two different vaccines. Um, and the vaccine for this yeah, agent up yeah. was ready and the vaccine for this agent down was ready but we're starting at the and we just needed to backfill the with the window so the yeah. youngest age for the old person vaccine was at this part and the oldest age for the young person vaccine was at this part yeah um, and they weren't quite they hadn't quite met in the middle yet that makes but sense yeah. that's a pure guess it was just one of those weird little quirks of the saskatchewan vaccination schedule so yeah. yes we're living in the twilight zone <laughs> this last 18 months Last year, yeah. I guess, it, you know. The RCMP discriminated against Colton Bushy's family and fueled racial tensions in the wake of shooting death review fines. I think we have touched on uh, yeah. the situation of uh, with surrounding yeah. Colton Bushy's death murder already. But, uh, yeah, the RCMP uh, has been found by a review that they acted in a racist, discriminatory manner when it notified a Cree mother that her son had been killed. Uh, a civilian complaint process has found resolving one aspect of a family's four and a half year pursuit of accountability. I mean, we knew at the time during the Gerald Stanley trial that things had not been handled properly. So in the a sense, treated the victim as the perpetrator. Yeah. So we, we knew that, and this is not uncommon. I part one of the report or, or one part of the report that I, I obviously agree with is the fact that yes, they just, they, they, the report found that yes, the police were racist and that the police fucked up. Yeah. Um, when they destroyed police records, when they accused his, the, the mom of a child who had just died of being drunk. Um, like all of these things, um, right. Somewhat diverge from the opinion of the report is they talk about how it's, um, proof that more training is needed. Yeah. Um, it's not training, it's consequences that's needed. Yep. Um, like, I don't think training is necessarily a bad thing, but this isn't because of lack of training. And if, and if it is, then we're dealing with why the heck are they hiring people who don't understand what a six-year-old knows? Yep. Right. Because you go up to a six-year-old and say, what do you say to someone who a family member has just died? They will be better equipped than the cops were when talking to Colton Bushy's mother. Um, that's not training. Humans, like, we know better. <laughs> like, this, this is not how that conversation would have gone had it been the, the mother of a, a white child who was gunned down. Yeah. Right? Like, exactly. it wouldn't have been. Nope. 100% wouldn't have been. Right. We know that if there had been a group of white teenagers or I don't I, yeah, white 20 somethings and teenagers who had a flat tire car broke down, they pulled off onto the side of the road um, on that happened to be on a reservation and were shot and killed by indigenous Canadians on that reservation. I guarantee you the mother of that white child would not have had the police treat them this way. And that's not training. If you're treating two different people differently, they obviously have the training to do it properly when someone is not indigenous. Yeah. Right. Like that, yep. how, how can you say it's, I, I, again, management one Oh one, you talk about, Competency versus commitment or skill gap versus will gap. It's not a skill issue when someone has demonstrated they know how to, to perform the skill properly in the past and then choose not to demonstrate the skill. That is a will gap, not a skill gap. That is, that, that is not training. That is consequences. Yep. Um, that is, this is unacceptable behavior, so stop accepting it. And I, like, I don't think there will be any consequences. 
Like no. th- nobody's going to look at this and go, okay, uh, they did this wrong. They treated this as though they were storming a castle and not delivering news about somebody's death to their family. Uh, and now those people are going to be suspended or something. Yeah. I don't know. The fact that the police union representing the RCMP officers is rejecting the report is flat yeah. out saying, nope, yeah. this is we're rejecting it. We don't accept the findings demonstrates that no amount of sensitivity training is going to change police behavior until that behavior is actually treated as unacceptable. Yep. Yep. Um, so so that yeah. sort of leads into the other article that's on the same topic, too. Um, that's the head also from the Globe and Mail and RCMP destroyed police records from the night Colton Bushi died. Um, So uh, the RCMP destroyed records of police communications from the night Colton Bushi died and a, and conducted a parallel internal probe into the handling of the case without notifying the civilian watchdog, according to a report from the civilian review and complaints commission. So not only did they behave in, in inappropriately delivering the news to the mother. They also destroyed records and conducted a private inv- internal investigation so that they could avoid any consequences or accountability. And this is, I mean, I mean, we say it over and over. The police are no if, good. If you fucked up at work and there was a videotape of you fucking up, you're on the oil rig. I, I don't actually know what you do in your oil field job, but like you're out there, you're doing your job, you fuck up, something bad happens because of it. Let's even say it was an honest mistake. Let's not even say it was because of an intentional decision to do something wrong. Let's say one like benefit of the doubt, hundred percent, you made an honest mistake, even due to lack of training. If you went and destroyed the videotapes. <laughs> That recorded you fucking out. You're out. (laughs) You're out if you're lucky and you're in jail if you're not. Yeah, that's right. right. It depends on the environmental impact of the, you know, of the mistake, right? Yeah. I know I would be. Yeah. 100%. If I got caught destroying financial records, like I would go to jail. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's absurd. I'm low thing. enough on the totem pole that I go to jail. I understand there are people higher up on the food chain that, right. that in, in, you know, we, we, we know that not everyone, um, in, in other fields like oil or finance. Yeah. But oh, you have to be right. pretty high up on the food chain before you don't face consequences. Yeah. Like, it, okay. I don't think cops are workers, but if you draw a parallel between cops and workers, then they're not high enough on the totem pole to avoid consequences. Like, like they should, if it be, was in any other field, yeah. if it was any, in any other field. Yeah. It, it just, yeah. It again, assuming, and I don't like, this is, this isn't the case, but again, for sake of argument, assuming they, they, every single mistake was an honest mistake. Um, and again, I've already expressed that I multiple times how I don't think it was. It's not, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you make an honest mistake and then go back and destroy the records, that's like the destruction of the records in and of itself is not a training issue. <laughs> like no, that is again, no. there are rules around record retention. You're you're making a choice to violate those. You're making a choice. It it is frustrating to the nth degree that this shit is still happening. Yeah. Um and I, it was, it was discussing police in a, a different jurisdiction. Um, but I was arguing with someone uh, about a, another police brutality issue. Or, uh, this is anyways, a, a police misconduct issue. Um, and they kept insisting that it wasn't race related. And at mm. one point I finally was like, okay, then like, I disagree with you. But assuming you're right, why the heck aren't you then just universally outraged? Yeah. Like if this type of thing was happening to white people as much as it was happening uh, to black and indigenous and, and other marginalized communities, shouldn't you be as outraged? Shouldn't you be like, 
go look at your 22-year-old nephew or son or daughter and think to yourself, is it only luck that this didn't happen to my 22-year-old in my life? Because, again, this wasn't someone breaking into a farm trying to steal something. This was a group of teenagers and 20-somethings who had car trouble pulled off and I'm sorry, I've been told since the day I moved to Saskatchewan that this is a province where everyone helps each other. And it's the type of province where if you have car trouble and you pull off on the side, your neighbor you will help you help. out. Yeah. That's How right. many times do we get told that this is such a wonderful province? Because So if it's not race, if race had nothing to do with it, if this had nothing to do with race, doesn't that put a lie to the statement, this is a wonderful province where neighbors help each other out? Yep. And – because they I mean, know it is a race issue. They know yeah, that's that right. their kids won't have this happen because they're white. There's <laughs> neither alternative is a good alternative, right? <laughs> and it's two separate issues. Like we have two intersecting issues. You have the issue of um, police misconduct and you have the issue of s- structural societal racism. And yes, they intersect this way. But both are issues in and of themselves. If we had a society where there was no police misconduct, if police were the one area of society that wasn't racist, they were the least racist part of society, they were an institution that was functionally incapable of being racist, the fact that we have structural racism in our society would still be problematic. Yep. Conversely, if we eliminated all structural racism – from society. We, we lived in a completely race – the concept of race never came into existence. Someone you know, uh, found a magic lamp and the genie eliminated the concept of racism overnight. Police brutality and misconduct and disproportionate use of power and lack of accountability would still be a bad thing. <laughs> yep. So these None two issues good. intersect in a way that make things like exponentially worse. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not like five levels of one times plus five levels of others, 10. No, it's, they multiply. Yeah. But ag- again, if, if for anyone who doesn't think this is racially motivated, you should be even more outraged because you should be scared that this could happen to you. This could happen to your family. You can find us at anchor.fm slash from many peoples. Our Twitter is at SK politics pod. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash from many people's strength pod. And our Gmail is from many peoples at gmail.com. We have a place where you can buy us coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash from many peoples. Uh, Richard bought us five coffees. Nice. <laughs> so- and you should enjoy them. Or now that you're on the oil field, maybe I will take one. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, we'll, I wasn't going we'll to share but- them now. All right. <laughs> All right. Thank you for joining me again. Thank you so much, Corey. And as always, thanks for all the hard work you do prepping things. And I hope everybody enjoys the editing that I did on the last ep- last video. It was, it, it's, I'm very proud of it. Actually. Are you okay? I rarely, <laughs> yeah. I, I do not normally like listening to myself talk. So I, I tend to avoid listening to our own things, That's but I fair. might go and do it just so I can get to see your fabulous editing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a very good editing job. <laughs> right, well, thank if you i do that. say so myself <laughs> i appreciate the hard work you put into everything both both before and after we do our recording so take awesome. care and i'll see you in two weeks you bet <laughs>